Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. for joining us i have just about got the uh, theme song from mortal kombat out of my head so now we can switch track and talk about another beloved franchise but one franchise that we have done before uh, resident evil yes we are back with the second of the resident evil movies and there's plenty more to come but we're doing resident evil apocalypse to mark the release of the remake of resident evil 2 mm. and this film not only with Resident Evil 2 being the sequel to the first Resident Evil game, but this film very much draws its influences, its setting, and even uh, some of its characters, at last, from the uh, Resident Evil games, primarily Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, and with a little sprinkling of Resident Evil Code Veronica, because the first film, as we debated in our Resident Evil episode, doesn't... You really do that. Doesn't really do that. <laughs> I mean, you, I remember you saying that you actually were really anti-Resident Evil 2002. So as um, the trailers for this got released, as the, um, the hype built, what were your impressions of Resident Evil Apocalypse? Which is actually, it's the first Resident Evil film with, with a, a subtitle. And I think the subtitles become incredibly confusing <laughs> as time goes on. I, I was thinking earlier... If this was called Resident Evil 2, I think it would have worked so much better because mm. it would have that connection to the mo- to the game. I would remember when it came because the next film is pretty much set post-apocalypse. And so I get very confused that this one's called Apocalypse. But anyway, well, I guess we'll get to that a little bit later. What were you thinking about Resi 2 colon apocalypse well if you uh, had listened to the resident evil episode you would have heard me talk about how much of a fan of the series i was and followed the development of that movie and i was ultimately a bit disappointed at the time with the first resident evil movie with this one cautious optimism was what i thought when i first saw stuff being released about it i did think oh finally they've introduced the characters from the games and finally we get to see Raccoon City because as you will remember spoilers for Resident Evil and spoilers <laughs> for Resident Evil Apocalypse in this episode as you'll remember at the end of the first Resident Evil film it culminates in our lead character Alice played by Mila Jovovich uh, awakening to find a city torn apart and ravaged by zombies and that got me really hyped up mm. to see what like, happens much, next. Much like the end of Mortal Kombat, it ends <laughs> of a scene which completely hypes us up, and they both happened to be directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Uh, so I was optimistic because the first film didn't really do much with the games, but this seemed like it was going all in, at least with setting and at least with characters. So mm. I wanted to see how it was going to be pulled off. I can't remember 
when I saw this film or if I had any hype for it. I guess I must have been in the same boat as you. It was exciting to see what we wanted coming, finally. I have to say I have rewatched this a few times since it came out. And again, as we go forward, I think we'll find how this film in particular really influenced the other films for, for good or ill. This is definitely the beginning of what the Resident Evil movies would become, mm. quite clearly. I guess one can only imagine... I mean, I was watching this film thinking, this is the last Resident Evil film pretty much set in the real world. I know they have sort of walled cities <laughs> mm. uh, where you can trap people in, but I felt that going forward, it seems really bizarre to me that the rest of this franchise takes place in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Not Well, I was going to say not post-apocalypse, but it is... Oh, guys, it's just well, terribly confusing. Everything is post-apocalypse because this film is called Apocalypse. So... Mm. Naturally, the title should tell you everything that every film set, every film that comes after this film is technically post-apocalypse. I mean, I guess it's technically the correct title because an apocalypse is when the apocalypse is happening, and things like Mad Max are post-apocalypse because the apocalypse has happened. So I guess it is correctly named. Yeah, where does dystopia come into all this? Apparently this film was originally going to be called Resident Evil Nemesis because of the character Nemesis, or monster. I'm going to call him a character. He's got agency. (laughs) Um, But because a couple of years ago, years before that, Star Trek Nemesis came out and um, tanked, they decided to change the name. Oh, okay. That was the reason. That was absolutely the reason it's definitely out of the sits live action films i literally lost count of how many films there are <laughs> that adheres to the games it's the most video gamey one of them it's not really a straight adaptation of any one of the games but it's the one that draws from the games the most in terms of source material i would say and mm. in terms of even feel and look and just uh, references to. I'm still waiting for the scene though where a character types something on the typewriter. They go into like a high tech laboratory and find the one typewriter and ribbon. I'm sure they debated doing that. Yes. So Apocalypse is set in Raccoon City, which, much as the mansion that was teased but not really used much in the first film, mm. was very much part of the first game. Raccoon City is almost like a character itself. Mm. Do you think there are other cities named after other woodland creatures? Badger City. No, Badger Town. Badger Town. Badger Town. Fox Groves. No, that's a real thing. Uh, Squiggle Land. Squiggle. Squiggle. Squirrel Land. Squirrel Land. Squirrel City has Squirrel a nice City. ring to it. Oh, Twindle Squirrel City. Yeah. Everything's just fine and dandy in Squirrel City. Raccoon City in Resident Evil 2 and 3 in particular, it also appears in various spin-offs and uh, side quals and mm. all kinds of stuff with the Resident Evil games. Resident Evil 2 in particular, for the longest time, was my favourite of the series. Mm. And it holds a very special place in my heart. I think for the hearts of many Resi fans, I mean, mm. I think it's no surprise that they're going for a high a lovely remake of Resident Evil 2. There was that remake of Resi 1 on the GameCube, of course, and I suppose they're just doing two because that's its due, but I don't know, rather than going back for a luxurious remake of Resi 1 again, they're going this route. When it came out, it was very much 
expanded on the first game in really interesting ways. Two characters with two different A and B scenarios, so you could kind of play as one character and then play as the other character have playing at the same time. It's It felt very clever, very meta. I read up in the notes that they're inspired a bit by Back to the Future 2, where Marty McFly... Um, can look on the events of Back to the Future 1. I almost said he looked back on the events of Resident Evil 1. <laughs> but he really travelled back into the back future. Back to the, the future. He went uh, to 2002. Uh, Marty, you're going to 2002. You're going to go to the premiere of Resident Evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were inspired by looking at a scenario from two different perspectives. And I remember thinking, you know, the game felt incredibly long to me. And then thinking, I can, play, I can do the whole thing again with a new character. In, in its own way, as iconic as the first game was, I think a lot of what Resident Evil became and went on was started in Resident Evil 2. And I think the locations and the settings and the characters are fairly iconic, which is why it was ripe for a remake. Yeah, I just absolutely loved the game at the time. Resident Evil 3 Nemesis didn't play as much. I remember borrowing it off uh, my friend Dominic, who I mentioned in the first mm. episode about Resident Evil. I borrowed his PlayStation and a copy of Resident Evil 3 and played through that as quick as I could. But we were more familiar with two because as Nintendo kids, we had the version released on the N64, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think I've played Nemesis at all. I've watched you play it, um, but I've not played it myself. So I'm, I'm perhaps less invested in seeing Nemesis and Jill Valentine and Carlos in the film. I played through it, but I don't have as much kind of emotional attachment to three as I do to Resident Evil 2, which is why I'm super, super excited for the remake. I managed to play a couple of demos. I've attended some special events. Mm. What are the controls like? Is it the tank controls, or are we now in a, in a fully 3D world? It's like Resident Evil 4, basically. Okay, groovy. It's Resident Evil 4 with a little bit of Resident Evil 7, mm-hmm. kind of as a combination of the two, I'd say. It's using the same engine as Resident Evil 7, but in a third-person setting. And I sadly have not played Resident Evil 7 but I feel is that would you say Resident Evil 7 is, is more zombie light um, yeah there's there's not really mm-hmm. much in the way of zombiness in there the diet zombie so was it nice to return to the zombie infested streets of Raccoon City yes but also no because it's disgusting <laughs> properly disgusting yeah you kind of shoot bits and pieces of their face off and like they're really gooey and limbs flopping everywhere it's funny we we obviously talked about mortal Kombat last episode and and the violence in the more recent games and um as of recording they've released brand new footage of mortal Kombat at 11 and i feel this has a similar vibe to resident evil 2 where there's a part of me which thinks, maybe this is getting like an old fart becoming just like my parents, but there's a part of me which is like, this isn't fun anymore, this is really nasty. Yeah, it was easier shooting the head off a zombie when it was all just blocky blood flying mm. everywhere, but uh, some of the stuff I've seen and played in Resident Evil 2 when it's just like gut spilling out. Mm. So Resident Evil 2, big footprint on the franchise... Yes. <laughs> yes. I, um, I'd say so. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to playing uh, the Resident Evil 2 remake and reliving, rerunning the fun, <laughs> in the words of Pat Sharp. Well, you know, the police department in Raccoon City is kind of like Fun House, isn't it? But just to tie it all together, 
I found out today that when Resident Evil 2 came out on the PlayStation, at least in the States... The United States. The United States of America. (laughs) Yeah. They had a little uh, gold sticker on the front which said competition sweepstake to win a part in the Resident Evil movie. Ooh. Apparently with the game manual, there was a little card you could fill in and send in your details. Mm -hmm. The closing date of the competition was the 1st of April 1998, which is, I guess, April Fool's Day 1998. But I don't think it was a trick or a ploy. I think it was genuinely Capcom had sold the rights and they were like, okay, whatever happens... We'll make sure that anyone who enters, one of you will get to be in the Resident Evil movie. I feel like this is going to take a very dark turn. No, I mean, it's it's more just a big question mark because it they seems were... like nothing happened. <laughs> they were never nothing heard came, from again. Nothing came out of it. I think because it was still four years before the Resident Evil movie, it came out proper. And maybe in the interim, they just kind of gave up and hushed it up and forgot about it. I do love it when people sort of hold the frame in either a TV show or a film and they look really out of place. And then you learn later on it's because they won a competition (laughs) or a big fan. Or they're the director and they just can't act. There's a director cameo in this. Did you know that? He plays a sniper. And I didn't notice the sniper being awkward or weird. So he must have done a good job. Congratulations. Alexander Witt. Alexander Witt. Shall we just talk very briefly about the creatives before we go into the plot itself? Yeah, okay. So Alexander Witt. I kept getting this guy confused with the guy who directed uh, Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Who That's was... Simon West? Simon West. I think. Witt West. Same difference. But I realise now that he's not directed many movies, full movies. He is... However, a very highly regarded second unit director, specifically in the action movie uh, field. And so, as a Bond fan, I must have seen his name a hundred times because he's done... Casino Royale, Mm -hmm. uh, Skyfall and Spectre. He's only done one other film. Directing. Directing since this movie. And, you know, I hope he doesn't attribute this movie to his career trajectory sometimes people are just good at what they do like Miliovich is clearly good at doing Resident Evil movies so, um, <laughs> so that's all she does that's all she does he's clearly after this film still been successful at least in the second unit directing mm. mode so as well as those Bond movies you have stuff like uh, Fast Five Prince of Persia, the aforementioned. Yes, and... I wonder if you got some weird vibes on the set of that. Whereas that, I made a video game movie once. Shut up, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think most recently, Avengers: Infinity War. Oh yeah. So you know he's still being hired for really super mm. big projects. Yeah, so quite, it can't quite... have put too much of a stain on his career. But That's... maybe he just doesn't want to, or hasn't had the opportunities to really do much directing of his own. Yeah, I'm sure people, when they ask him why he hasn't done more movies, he says it's because he doesn't want to, while he's wearing his faded Resident Evil Apocalypse director's cap. (laughs) (laughs) No, he just slowly turns it round so the logo can't be be seen above the brim. Uh, And then the guys behind him, like the the gaffers, go like, Resident Evil Apocalypse, what a crap movie! (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, out of the six movies, apparently it is the lowest rated on Rotten Tomatoes of the mm. franchise, uh, but it was it was a hit. It was number one at the box office on opening, made twenty three million domestic on its opening, and uh, eventually 
made $129 million on a $45 million budget. So it actually made more than the first film. I read in the trivia that Mida Jovovich was disappointed by this film, <laughs> which makes me sad. It goes on to say that she said the studio wanted more action and explosion. Singular. <laughs> wanted more action and explosion and that the story was swept under the rug. Rugsident evil. Oh, that was laboured. Anyway, moving on. So Alexander Witte directed this film, but um, still here, still on the scene, is Paul W.S. Anderson. Yes, he produced and wrote the script for this film. I think his... Was it Aliens vs. Predator he was working on, which oh, was yes. taking his attention at the time? So he couldn't direct this Gosh. this film. Can we talk about Aliens vs. Predator a little bit? We are probably going to do an Aliens special at some point, but... Man, oh man, that's a, that was a concept which um, was uh, completely spoiled, I think. As a fan of the comics, the Aliens vs. Predator comic was fantastic, so yeah. But I think as we mentioned in the earlier Mortal Kombat episode, his experiences with the sequel to Mortal Kombat wanted him to uh, keep a closer eye on this movie, so he sort of shepherded it, and in the behind-the-scenes footage, he does appear to be on set a few times in what I assume are unrehearsed uh, behind-the-scenes B-roll where he holds his cam- his hands up like a camera. Mm. But yeah, I think you can you can feel his influence. I feel it does feel like a Paul W S Anderson joint. Yes, but it's hard to really gauge because we don't know really how much Alexander Witt is as an auteur. Mm. I think in terms of the look of the film and because of the setting. It's definitely bigger, it's branched out, it's on the streets of the city. But Alexander Witt, he does sure like his Dutch angles. Yeah. And he does sure like adding slow motion effects whenever there's a zombie well, on screen. There's nothing wrong with a Dutch angle. I would I would shoot a film entirely in Dutch angles if I was given half the chance. Yeah. Um, but the slow motion thing, yes, not great. It seems to have been a thing at the time it seems to be like an early 2000 thing i think it also shows up a lot in uh, king kong okay um which also the the guy who plays uh, is it major kane in this is yes. the sea captain from king kong thomas kretschmann i think his name yeah. is so um but this slow motion effect where it wasn't the film's in slow motion but i think we've learned an effect on their computer which can make it slow motion I guess, I don't know what I suppose to convey, but I notice with interest it's just not used anymore. So it seems to be sort of the flared trousers of action filmmaking. <laughs> it was 2004's, what is J.J. Abrams like? Lens flare. Lens flare. Yeah. Um, maybe it's also to just mask some really bad zombie acting and makeup, perhaps. Could be. I don't know. The zombies in this, I think, are, yeah, this must be the third or fourth podcast, the zombies in it i think they're, they're above par they're good they all went to zombie training camp with apparently i read they had the instruction no holding your hands out they had to drag- no hands in pockets either <laughs> no hands in pockets <laughs> um i keenly watched zombie acting and i think more than any other crowd sequence a zombie not pulling their weight in the crowd really really distracts it mm. it actually evaporates the horror i can watch a, a medieval battle sequence where one guy is just not really fighting that much and i can just imagine he's just catatonic of horror and he just doesn't want to do it anymore but if i see a zombie just sort of like i don't know pick his nose <laughs> off really breaks uh, breaks, breaks you the, out breaks the illusion more than crappy slow motion but interestingly enough, in terms of the production of the film, 
and a little bit tied into the nature of the film all about viral outbreaks. The film was originally due for release in October 2003, but was pushed back almost a whole year because of the outbreak of SARS. Do you remember SARS? Was that bird flu? That was something else. Mm. It ground everything to a halt. I think it was, you couldn't fly in and out of certain places. I think it was in Hong Kong and in Canada. This was filmed in Toronto, Mm -hmm. primarily. But it was a big thing at the time. So it was viewed distasteful to make light of a a viral outbreak. Or maybe it was just hard to produce a movie because of... When half the... Yeah, when the transport and stuff. Yeah. I guess one could say the themes of the film tie in to existing current events or something. Maybe Mm. it's got something political. There's lots of stuff about cover-up and corporate scandal and... A lot of that's in the games, like the idea that the big evil corporation in the games umbrella is basically keeping things, uh, shushing things up, like scandals and stuff. It's funny, though. I think we live nowadays in in 2019. We live in a world where perhaps more paranoid than ever, but perhaps less so of the sort of things Resident Evil and the X-Files were worried about. I think we kind of just now all acquiesce and just accept it. We It's the whole Facebook thing where we hand over our data completely uh, A-OK. So it's, it's just funny. It's just a, it's, it's a f- it's funny old world. <laughs> <laughs> right, shall we delve into the plot? Yes, let's talk Resident Evil Apocalypse. Yeah, it's got a colon. Resident Evil colon apocalypse. Resident Evil colon apocalypse. I, I, ha- I don't want to say <laughs> colon apocalypse. <laughs> colon oh, apocalypse. blimey, don't go in there. It was a colon apocalypse. <laughs> oh, that is evil. So mm. I did see this in the cinema. Yep. I saw it with my friend John, who is also a big Resident Evil fan. And we also saw it with another friend of ours who I don't think had seen anything to do with Resident Evil ever and yet she joined us for seeing this movie and I spent the whole film feeling very sorry for her (laughs) she seemed to think it was like whatever at the end of it but for the uninitiated Mm. I felt very sorry well I mean this film starts with a a catch-up you know, a, a previously on Resident Evil yeah and they do those I think for all the movies I'm not sure a little um, recap. I find. Hmm. I think I just they feel like every film has. My name is Alice. She just explains. <laughs> I guess so. Everything. But this, the, the as I've said in my in the earlier Resident Evil episode, this series does delight into uh, ending on cliffhangers, painting themselves into corners, and they're ignoring, just walking all over that wet paint. <laughs> anyway, what does the back of the box say? The back of the box says this: After narrowly escaping the horrors of the underground hive facility. No, I've merged those two words to make the high facility. High facility. (laughs) Oh, you should try this shit, man. It's amazing. (laughs) That was a portmanteau. After narrowly escaping the horrors of the underground hive facility, Alice Miljovovich, fifth element, not the fifth element, the definite Mm. article missing. I need to check that, is it? I think it's the fifth element. Yeah, I think it is. Maybe she started another film called Fifth Element. Alice is quickly thrust back into a war raging above ground between the living and the undead. As the city is locked down under quarantine, Alice joins a small band of elite soldiers, 
led by Jill Valentine, Sienna Guillory, Love Actually, and Carlos, Oded Fur, The Mummy Returns. It's a hot, pounding race against time as the group faces off against hordes of bloodthirsty zombies, stealthy lickers, mutant canines, and the most sinister foe yet. Written and produced by the visionary director of Resident Evil, Paul W.S. Anderson, Alien vs. Predator. He said that so posh, it's like, and now on the BBC World Service, Alien vs. Predator. Alien vs. Predator. Contains constant moderate violence and strong language. I like constant moderate violence. <laughs> it's constant. Although maybe it's constant strong language too. I don't know. It's unclear. Anyway, the uh, tagline is, My name is Alice, and I remember everything. From the leading name in biotechnology, comes Regenerate, the breakthrough from the Umbrella Corporation. Umbrella Corporation. My name is Alice. I work for the Umbrella Corporation. There was an accident, and everybody died. The trouble was, they didn't stay dead. Pursuit of human perfection, accidents will happen. There's been an incident. How bad is it? We're reopening the hive. I want to know what went on down there. Sir, there's something in here. The infection is spreading faster than anyone could have anticipated. Seal the gates. Our men are still out there. Just do it. We're expendable assets. And we've just been expended. Now, those left behind... We're gonna take you home. ...must battle an enemy that will not die. What was that? We're gonna need more ammo. Move! I'm good. But I'm not that good. They did something to me. They changed me. And one corporation... The nemesis is now fully activated. ...will do everything to bury its dark secret. You know exactly how far Umbrella will go. I used to work for them. I learned the error of my ways. Initiate launch proceedings. It pops up in the film and a little bit in the credits, but the original teaser trailer, it's directed by Marcus Nispel. He directed a lot of music videos, but went on in terms of big screen movies to direct a lot of the remakes of horror films and such. So he directed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, the Friday the 13th remake, and the Conan the Barbarian remake with Jason, my man, Momoa. It'd be so much easier if they just called these films Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. (laughs) (laughs) I'm constantly going through the EPG at home and you think, oh, it's Turtle Recall. No, it's not. It's not. It's the Colin Farrell Total Recall. Yeah, this new game should be called Resident Evil 2 Colon Remake. Mm-hmm. Colon Remake. Colon come remake. out of surgery. It's like a brand new colon. Oh, it's perfect. To... You could eat your dinner off it. <laughs> Post-colon apocalypse and got my... Uh, had a colon remake. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that advert, it sort of depicts the... Uh, it looks like a skin cream product... And then it's it's meant to make your skin last forever, but as a zombie. 
I don't think that's part of the advert. Yeah. The idea is, just like in the first film, there's this virus, it's the T-virus, mm-hmm. and the idea behind it is cellular growth, and in the undead, it makes zombies, but as we kind of see, it also enhances people in superhuman ways. Mm. I think we want to talk about the characters, but I've got big questions about what Major Kane, that the villain of the piece, kind of wants, and what Umbrella wants, and what the T-Virus does. It's fairly unclear in the games as well, and I think a lot of it's sort of retro-fitted. I guess the zombies follow standard movie rules in which, not all movies... Just the zombie just, movies. Just movies in which zombies appear. <laughs> it's like these zombies. If you get bitten by one, you turn into a zombie. Um, even though there's a scene when zombies come out of graves from the ground, and I was wondering who goes around biting zombies underground. <laughs> Maybe infected worms. Well, there's background lore to say that the hive infected sort of the ground around it as well through the ventilation but again that's really messy because it's meant to be a sealed facility yeah the start of the film after Miljovic handley recaps everything for us mm. is that scientists go down to the hive to find out exactly what happened down there but then they get attacked by monsters uh, yeah. just, and i think my- i guess that's how things T-virus escapes because someone has, as we heard in the first episode, someone has a handy little wrist computer Mm. which tells them how much T-virus contamination is present. So I guess it was an accident. Yeah. But Umbrella were prepared for it. It's really fuzzy. I mean, so it's established in the first film that Umbrella is a pharmaceutical company. On the surface, it's... It's just got its digits and everything, but it does lots of nefarious stuff. Yeah, its tagline, as in the teaser trailer, is our business is life itself. That's one of those taglines which I think just about gets away with it. Because (laughs) there's other ones, again, in Doctor Who episodes, where they're sort of very on the nose when it comes to their evilness. We do evil, but you (laughs) like us. That's like Amazon's new uh, slogan, is it not? (laughs) I think the initial outbreak in the hive was a mistake, although it does beggar belief that their only way to check what happened inside their sealed biohazard facility is just to open Open the the giant door. Open the door and hope nothing comes out. Yes, and he literally walks into darkness. You would think there was just one camera or something just to show what might be behind that door. Yeah, just, you know, infrared or x-ray or, just, I don't know. Just anything. I mean, it's it's your facility is specifically designed to do this thing. But yes, so I believe the initial outbreak was an accident, but Major Kane decides to use this opportunity to test the weapon. I think it's a to test the effectiveness of the T-virus, to test the effectiveness of Alice uh, Project Alice, as she's renamed here. But yeah. she never calls herself Project Alice, which I think is a missed opportunity. There's a scene where Major Kane closes the doors of Raccoon City. The, only, the main bridge out The of main town. bridge out of town. Is he like the mayor? <laughs> because how did, who gives him that power or authority? Is it, it's, I guess it implies that Raccoon City is pretty much owned by Umbrella. Yeah, I think this is what happens when you get private companies to handle mm. stuff like security, human and lives, public space, as it were. Um, you know, because like the idea that a lot of 
gentrification in our towns and cities, the land that you think is public、mm. is actually owned by land companies and owned by private businesses. So they can kick you out and. You know, for trespassing、mm. or whatever. So maybe it's just the idea. Raccoon City were like, yeah, you build these giant walls and doors, and you handle all the bridges and the infrastructure, and、uh, everything will be cushy. But you said just a moment ago that they are cutting off the main gate, and are you saying that you don't think there's a wall going around the entire? Outside of the city, because I think there's a CGI map depicting a literal wall. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think because I think one of the people mentions in the film when they say we've secured all major exits、mm-hmm. out of the city. So this is a visual representation of a wall, a literal metal wall. So, but I know that like in the commentary, Paul Anderson is talking about how much Escape from New York and how、mm. a walled city was all part of it. So some of the again some of the, vague. Yeah, I mean, some of the opening shots of this film depicts the suburbs of Raccoon City and it's people mowing their lawns and things. And it just seems a bit weird to me that just out, just you know, they've got a lovely view of a massive steel wall. <laughs> I think this is all right. This But, is fine. This isn't <laughs> scary and weird. But I guess one advantage of the first film has over this one is I felt the claustrophobia more. Because、um, even though you're in a in, in a basically in a zombie war zone, there seem to be there just seem to be more of a threat. I think the the, the Red Queen computer could turn off the air at any time or, or trap you. And but yeah, the claustrophobia I felt was a little bit less in this. Yeah, they do have to go to locations which are more contained to create a little bit more atmosphere than just. Walking around in the streets, and I know in the games, it actually felt quite claustrophobic on the city streets, just because you were constantly surrounded by、mm. ruins and crashed buses and cars and stuff. So you were felt quite trapped, and you were quite constricted by the controls themselves. Yeah, which is something so, I hated at the start, but now I realise in in hindsight that helps with the fear. So particularly in Resident Evil Three, when you spend more time on the Raccoon City streets, it definitely. Felt claustrophobic in a way, and yeah, this film doesn't do that. But what this film does have, I suppose, a little bit more of is when they do go inside these locations. There are a few more shots which evoke the look of the games.、Oh, more、yes. dark corridors, people、mm. walking around with torchlights, static angles. So, in a way, it captures a little bit more of how the games at least look. If not、mm. necessarily feel there's that you know, a gorgeous couple of sequences where Jill Valentine is、uh, walking just away from the camera and the camera just holds it, holds it, holds it, and then she disappears off screen. And then there's just a, a pregnant like second or two where we don't know where she's gone, and that works on a cinematic level because you are like,、well, what's around the corner? But、um, I read that、uh, the actress, what was her name again? Sienna. Sienna Guillory. Guillory. She. Very much based her body language on the video game character. I hope not too slavishly, because <laughs> then it'd be lots of walking into walls and standing in one spot, turning around in a circle. Well, I mean, at one point she's injured and she's holding her hip. She actually based that on when you're in caution yellow、uh, health in the game. So yeah, she she legit inhabits the role. But again, maybe hopefully not.、Um, what's the method acting? Yeah. <laughs> So Umbrella knows that there is now a city contaminated,、mm. and they proceed to extract employees, high-ranking employees of Umbrella,、yes. 
And one of them is Dr. Charles Ashford, who is portrayed by Jared Harris, Mm -hmm. who I liked in Mad Men. He was very good in that. I think he's perhaps one of the greatest screen Moriarty's. Yes, he's he's great in Game um, of Shadows. Yes, Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows. Here he's not Not trying. He's not quite there yet, is he? He's not not really trying. But he's a high-ranking umbrella scientist, and he's called Ashford, Mm. which is a fam... It's not like the same characters, but it's a family name in the games in Code Veronica. Yes, but I think, aren't they sort of incestuous and crazy maybe, some... maybe they are in the universe of this film but he just doesn't talk about them but i think they the ashford family at least are meant to be responsible for doing some sort of creating of original viruses or whatever you in s- code veronica well you say high ranking the vibe i got off ashford the wheelchair bound dr ashford is that He's not exactly higher up, but he's just responsible for a lot of the research. Yeah, maybe not high ranking, I more high, high priority, I think, in the sense that he's... It kind of reveals later that he was the one who created the T-virus. Mm. He has a daughter, Angela, and she is got the same disability that he has, but yeah. he thinks that he can develop this virus and help cure her, and it works, but then Umbrella kind of take his research and decide to use it for their own nefarious needs. I mean, I did wonder what a doctor, what he was a doctor of, because he seems to be a doctor of both biology and hacking. Because <laughs> when, We need a side hustle because, nowadays. <laughs> well, I just wondered, I'm, I'm barely capable of my own job. And then to imagine that I would have a side gig at at com- hacking military grade computer systems is, is a bit a bit far fetched. He's very bright. I guess so. He's a, he's got small creepy and you know torturer glasses, so he must be um, he must be intelligent. He went to the same hacking school as the girl in Jurassic Park. So his daughter is one of the people being extracted by Umbrella, and again that's a very effective scene. Uh, you know, crap is hitting the fan, and so these black SUVs screaming pull out all the important people, scream out again, and uh, wouldn't you know it, the black SUV which contains uh, Angie gets knocked over by a truck, which in my desperate attempt to find connections between the Resi games, I'm assuming that truck is the truck at the start of Resi 2, which has a zombie in it. Again, confused by Kane's motivations because Ashford says, I'm not leaving without my daughter, and uh, Kane is saying, well, we're not going to try and find her. But I'm just thinking, why not? What's, what has he got to gain? If you want Ashford to be on your side, wouldn't it just be better to send a team in to rescue her? But so, in, instead, Ashford goes behind Kane's back and he has to contact the team, our heroes, himself. I assume Kane then doesn't know that he's been administering his daughter with T-virus, because surely if he's so in love with testing subjects and Project Alice and stuff, surely he'd be like, oh, and your daughter's also filled with the virus. Mm, I don't know about that. (laughs) Maybe he just... He didn't seem to show any interest in Angie, apart from as a bargaining chip at the end. I mean, also, if if he's so insistent that Ashford goes... Can't you just wheel him onto a helicopter in his wheelchair? <laughs> he he said, "You can't. I'm I'm staying here." And he should have just gone very well and go behind <laughs> Ashford, undo his brakes, and just push him up onto the helicopter. There seems to be no purpose for Ashford to be on site 
as a than to help our heroes out. Oh, I think I've just worked it out. Writers are clever, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> just going back to like, the wall. This definitely is one of the few times that this film really feels properly cinematic. And I don't really mean that as a slight. I don't mean that. Um, I'm just saying that in, in early 2000s, lower budgeted movies were starting to get big crowd sequences assisted by computer computers. I remember this film and also Dawn of the Dead, uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, which came out in 2004, mm-hmm. were the first movies which contain, contain crowds of zombies or humans that I only ever dreamed of. Because we grew up on the... George A. Romero, Dawn of the Dead movies, and you'd have crowds of zombies which were very thinly spread throughout a car park. And this shot where uh, Kane looks over at the crowds trying to leave really gives a sense of, of scale and desperation and panic, which uh, I really enjoyed. Even though zombie films are a dime a dozen, this is one of the few zombie movies which does take place during the outbreak. Except it starts and then it's 13 hours later yes with upturned burnt cars (laughs) i I just so happened i don't i i try and watch these movies we review when uh, the missus is out of the house but she watched this with me yeah she said at one point the graphics are shit in this (laughs) and you know what she was looking at she was looking at the cgi maps (laughs) that they were looking so that's not the actual cgi that's the map yeah, but still, I mean, I guess it was impressive for 2004. Mm, but she, yeah, she, she she also just commented like, "Could like it's been what 13 hours and everything's gone to shit." I know it's quite a kind of immediate zombie turnaround. It's quite chilling. I know. Think of what could happen in the next 13 hours. I know. Um, we said I know a lot. Like we're experts. <laughs> I know, right? An experts conference. I know. You know. I know. You do. <laughs> I do. You know. Uh huh. <laughs> the first. I guess proper character we we meet is Jill Valentine. She is wearing her outfit from Resi 3, and I read that the reason she was dressed in that tube top was because in the game she was on her way to a party or was getting ready for a party, and then zombies attack her apartment. Is that correct? I'm not sure. I mean... I think she's actually in a hotel room. Really? Because in the game, the opening sequence of which, when Jill is introduced tooling up, as she hears on the radio all about a report for immediate duty, all this kind of stuff is happening. Oh, right. That sequence in the film mirrors that of the opening of Resident Evil 3 to an extent. And she is staying in a hotel room. It's called mm. Grady's Inn. And later on in the film, there's like a... Matchbots, like a hotel Matchbots, Ooh. which says Brady's in on it. So that's a reference. The quality Easter eggs you get for being a Resi fan. Yeah, quality passed me by. Quality Easter eggs, but whether that is meant to be what's happening in this film is not clear. But yes, her look is definitely identical to that in Resident Evil Three Nemesis. And I've just got a bit of a question in terms of we don't get much backstory about her mm. we get a flash of a newspaper article saying she's a disgraced stars officer mm. stars is the name of the special tactics and rescue something <laughs> i really hope that's the last one um we wanted to we've just really wanted to make the acronym <laughs> stars but they're the raccoon city police department like special forces or something but they feature a lot in the games and 
they feature particularly in the first game, and of which Jill Valentine is a character. She's a character in Resident Evil 1, the game, and Resident Evil 3, the game. But I'm not sure whether the events of Resident Evil 1, the game, have taken place in this film universe. And the hmm. reason I wonder is because when she does report for duty and she goes into the police station, she starts shooting zombies left, right, and center and saying, they're infected, shoot for the head. Like she knows how to kill zombies and like she knows these are zombies, they need to be killed because they are infected. Like she knows that these aren't just mad civilians that they need to be taken into custody. She's just like, blam, blam, blam. Well, I do believe I've read somewhere that the events of... Resident Evil 1 did happen in the universe of the films, but in perhaps a very different way, because otherwise that implies like, uh, oh, um, Wesker, you're here and not part of our team because Wesker shows up later. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's meant to be suggesting this is not her first zombie rodeo. No. And I wonder whether if I did bother pausing when it has the newspaper article about it maybe it goes into a bit of detail there is mm. we know for instance that in this film the art clay mountains which is where the mansion of the game no, is meant to take place it's so sad the subtitle comes out art clay mountains and the geek in me is like <gasps> the art clay mountains <laughs> from the from the games when i was watching it i was like whoa she's just shooting lots of people in the head and that's cool mm. um, this is why you were suspended <laughs> running it off as shooting people who jaywalked yeah exactly i mean she's very judge dread about her mm. uh delivering gunishment. <laughs> gunishment um so yeah but then i was thinking just that, oh no actually maybe she i guess she is doing that because she, we are expected to believe that she knows all about umbrella i, I took it as read that she's she's definitely encountered the zombies before and didn't think to tell anyone <laughs> well no i think apparently i think she was suspended because people she wouldn't shut up about zombies and um then she's been proven right so i watched this amazing movie last night <laughs> oh um, you shut up Jill. is this like you told us about dracula <laughs> and the wolfman though yes those were legitimately happening too about uh, the actress herself and and how she embodies the role of jill valentine i think she does an okay job she's not given much when it came to picking a character in the commentary i think paul anderson says why did they choose jill valentine probably because she's the sexiest character in the whole resident evil series yeah and i feel like i know that claire redfield was meant to be in this film and they actually did cast someone mm. for that role but then i think she dropped out and they dropped the role entirely although claire redfield does Pop up eventually show up game. Oh, film does pop. Yeah, oh, it's difficult doing this podcast, isn't it's it? So alike. <laughs> um, so I think she's all right. It's nice to have a kind of counterpoint character to Alice. Do you think they're not who, too similar? Maybe though. I mean, when I say counterpoint, I mean that in she's the one without superpowers. She's the brunette. <laughs> I'm sure that's what Paul Anderson was a thought. They're yeah. so they're so different. They're so contrasting. One's a brunette. 
But yeah, I don't know. If you hadn't played the games, you'd be like, why should I care about yeah, this Yeah, I think that's, person? A, that's a good point. And she looks like a video game character just in terms of how she's styled. I, I just don't know about her costume in this. I think actually it might just be a bad costume designer for this particular costume. There's nothing against the other costumes, but I feel you could pull off that outfit. I think it's something to do with the colour stuff. Am I I, are we just talking at length about a, a lady's appearance on this podcast now? Well, Is that just me? You're keeping quiet. No, I was going to add mm-hmm. that I also think Alice's costume is awful in this film. And I get it because so she wakes up and mm. she needs to find some clothes and she goes to a gun shop and gets some guns and then uses some of the clothes there. But she has this weird half trouser leg it's not exactly of, practical, is it? It's just bizarre. and she's she, got, she should have come out in car keys with all the pockets. Yeah, and she's got this string vest. Mm, Kendall mint cake in one, of, in one of her satchels. Shall we move on to, um, shall we say Carlos next? He's our other video game inspired character. Yeah, he's the other main character from Resident Evil 3, who, mm. as well as Jill Valentine, who appears in this film portrayed by Oded Fur. Doesn't seem to be much love for Carlos across the franchise. In this film, he's not very similar in terms of looks and personality, mm. but I think he's a favourite... He's a one-and-done character, I think, I mean, in Resident Evil 3. I'm happy for you to spoil Resident Evil 3, the game. But does he make it through Resident Evil 3, the game? As far as I can remember, yes. Okay. Carlos is like the special army soldiers in the first film. He is an umbrella extraction soldier person dude thing. <laughs> That's what it says on his business card. <laughs> so him and he's got a squad with him, mm-hmm. uh, including... I think a, f- a couple of the other characters are based on other characters, Yuri and Nikolai, who are From also in Resi. Resident Evil 3. Mm-hmm. Nikolai is actually portrayed by Zach Ward, mm-hmm. who will appear in at least three Uwe Boll video game movies oh, that wow. we'll, we'll get round to at some point. Jill's best mate, uh, her character is called Peyton Wells. He's portrayed by the same actor who played Duke in Doom. Yes. So um, he's he's got quite a lot of range, hasn't he, playing two <laughs> kind of military men in the video game movies. And I don't think he's the one who survived Doom either. No, no. So Carlos is introduced pretty much abseiling out of a helicopter firing double handguns as he descends. That becomes the de facto introduction to most characters in Resident Evil going forward, doesn't it? I think that's the first point in this film where you're like, oh, it's this kind of movie now. (laughs) You couldn't do that in the games. No. At least at this point in the games. Mm. I mean, what I liked a little bit about this setup in Raccoon City is that you are afforded a few little vignettes. In the games, you find lots of files, diaries, letters, notes, which are left by people, and they build up a wider picture of the infection of what's happening and they're quite interesting, adds a bit of colour to Mm. what's going on, adds a bit of backstory. And in this film... There are little snippets of how regular folk are coping with the outbreak. So you have this woman being chased up the stairs to the ceiling. Mm. She's bitten by a zombie. Carlos is like, let me help you. And she's like, no, I've seen what happens. And she decides to kill herself Mm. uh, rather than become infected. 
Later on, there's a bit when they encounter a priest who is feeding his sister chopped up bits, his zombified sister Mm -hmm. chopped up bits of people. And again, that adds a little colour to proceedings. Although I thought it was quite presumptuous in 13 hours. I don't know when his sister, like, (laughs) became a zombie, but he's, like, in the 13 hours since, has thought, okay, she's a zombie now, tied her down to a chair, and resorted to feeding her bits of chopped up people. Seems a little bit like a... I don't, know, I don't know. Pop, skip, and a jump to crazy. I think at some points this film doesn't want its audience to not feel adrenaline. But I do think there's some genuine, genuinely creepy moments, genuinely creepy cinematography. And, and as I said earlier, I think there, I think this film, more than the others to my memory, really tries to um, nod towards the survival horror aspects of the franchise and it's not like the games don't have their share of jump scares there's you know i mean that's i mean you think resident evil you think of the dogs don't you bursting out of windows yeah that's the bread and butter of of resident evil and that's the same i guess with this film and the other films going on lots of quiet quiet bang you know sudden noises and what was that so this has that but yeah i i do appreciate it does try and get under your skin a little bit just not always successfully uh finishing off with carlos um i like the actor though again with not much i think more so than jill he's seems to be a likable chap he does get a bit at one point i was like oh no carlos um and i forgot there's uh antivirus because i think in the last mm. in the last episode dealing with resident evil i I wonder if that ever showed up again. I forgot it does so here. He's just got a twinkle in his eye, and I think that counts for a lot. I mean, I guess even though this is meant to be the end of the frickin' world, he doesn't freak out. He, he's a professional, and he does everything with a smile. <laughs> which <laughs> Not I want absolutely my, everything. No, which is what I want my super army when soldiers his, to do. When his friends are dying, he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't just stand over their bodies grinning. He just goes, every man's responsible for their own destiny, mate. <laughs> uh, not that bullshit again. We see a little bit more of them in action. There's a scene where there's like a big street battle. Yeah. Lots of zombies being shot at by soldiers mm-hmm. and including really? Carlos and friends, not very ineffectually. But it does mirror the opening cutscene of Resident Evil 3. There's this sort of zoom into a, a police helmet with a zombie reflection, which is lifted directly from the cutscenes in the games, which shows how the games are cinematic because some of the stuff... In this film, when it works best, is aping how the yeah. games are. Almost makes you wonder why they bothered for just <laughs> doing it shot for shot. But no, that's definitely a nod for the fans. And again, the sort of thing I would only dream of before, where a, f- a street full of zombies was just overpowering soldiers. You know, I love it. So while they're in their part of the city, back at the gates, uh, those, those gates are closed. The citizens are told to go back to their zombie-infested homes. I think this is where Jill... And I think Peyton and also the uh, weather girl, uh, Terry, all meet up. And uh, they end up, they all end up in the church. Do we see them? I, think... I guess for safety. Yeah. I, I'm a, I actually really enjoyed Terry in this. She is, we, well, we watched some deleted scenes, which changed her character quite significantly. We'll, we'll get to that. But in the film's iteration, in the director's cut... I found her a sort of breath of fresh air because in films, journalists, 
are usually they're not they, they usually will do anything to get a story and they will often put the heroes in danger to get this story but in this film she happens to have a camcorder and she's kind of making the best of a bad situation <laughs> um she 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 happens to be on the inside so she is taking video footage and there's i think there's no point where she really violates the privacy and she seems to be less in her element than the other people of course not no one's been trained for a zombie apocalypse but she she does like she's a slightly light in the mood and at one point she says this is going to be for my emmy if we get out of this and she's not blind to the fact that she's probably going to die but in the deleted scenes a lot of her stuff was caught where she's really horrible and yeah. she was very much that generic snipey character and um we learn all this stuff about how she starts the film as a weather girl we first see her as a weather girl but apparently she's been demoted from hosting the news and that seems completely bizarre and maybe i think it's probably a made-up thing for films but you know, usually you'd have a, a meteorologist doing the weather or someone mm. who knows about weather. You wouldn't have the demoted... It would be weird if you turned on the BBC and then Hugh Edwards was doing the weather all <laughs> yeah. of a sudden. It's just being faintly insulting to... Trevor McDonald. Yeah. Just, and what's Trevor up to? <laughs> Is it looking grey outside, Trevor? Trevor, know. you used to be ITM news anchor. Trevor? He keeps... Rather than talking about um, sort of the air pressure, he tries to talk about the you know political stuff happening down in... The... No, no, you can't do news anymore, Trevor. You no, have to do weather. It. Stop it. Yeah, so I think it was a good call to delete all her nasty footage because she is a much more sympathetic character. And when she does finally get her comeuppance, you really feel for her. And there's a, there's a nice little sort of... She kind of gets what she wants because she's carrying her camera around. And um, skipping ahead slightly, she gets killed by a bunch of school kids in a in a scene... Zombie school zombie kids. Zombie school kids. Not just conquers gone wrong. Is that... <laughs> oh, my God. I think that was, again, a scene which could be in a proper horror movie where all these... <laughs> yeah, not, this, no, not, not this. Not this shite. A proper horror movie. No, but it was like, this is most... This is like, well... In IMDb, this is described as a, an action mystery. Oh, really? <laughs> but uh, this is like an action movie more than a horror movie. But then she's surrounded by all these very good kid actors acting as zombies and she's killed with the camera filming her. So that's a lovely little bit of visual poetry cinematic poetry but yeah mm. you wouldn't feel so sorry for her if as she is introduced in the deleted scenes screaming for a fucking cappuccino she does <laughs> though as we're talking about her death i think jill valentine murders her because she only goes into that room with the school kids because she was pretty much ordered by jill to go off on her own to ex to, to explore this um creepy ass school and Without knowing how to use a gun. Yeah, she literally says, I can't do this. We should not split up. And Jill just, in a sort of action hero sort of way, goes, it's easy. Just shoot for the head. It's I don't know whether I can shoot people in the head. I, I haven't I, tried. Yeah, no, don't, I don't know. I don't know. If could you just if you've shot anyone in the head, please message us in the usual channels. Please don't. Um, <laughs> no, please don't. Yes, Jill's Jill's arc and that part of the film is telling a terrified woman <laughs> to go off into a creepy place with a, a weapon she doesn't know how to use and doesn't really seem to care that she ends up dead. Anyway, back to the church. Back when Terry stood alive. Some of the gang are in the church and. 
this is where we see liquors make a reappearance. In the first film, we had like just the one which was bigger and yeah, it seemed more like an Uber liquor. Yeah, but this these are more like the liquors that you get at least in the first appearance of them, which in the games was Resident Evil Two. Mm-hmm. So we get a bunch of them hanging around the church. Sticking on walls and licking things. I do like their their action plan. They go, I think Terry goes, what are we going to do? And Peyton goes, they surrounded us. And their plan is to run into the church going, ah, and just shooting everywhere. And all seems lost when who comes through the stained glass window but Alice on a motorbike. Alice on the motorbike. I have to admit, I get really knocked by this pit because unless there's a ramp going up to the window, you can't jump a bike through a very high stained glass window. You mean churches don't have ramps leading into their main stained glass window as standard? I like to think it's a slightly knocked over gravestone (laughs) that she's launching off. Or maybe a kind of big fancy tomb which is like pyramid shaped. I've seen those. Yeah, so it's Isn't like... uh, Nicholas Cage's tomb? He's got a tomb in a New Orleans cemetery. You know he's not dead, though. Yeah, but he's got one built and reserved for him for okay. when he dies. Oh, I, and hope it's... I hope when he dies, somebody else is there. And it's shaped like a big pyramid or something. So you can go and visit Nicholas Cage's tomb right now if you oh, wanted cool. to. I'll bring some flowers <laughs> <laughs> and put them on there. But, the, I mean, the other thing is... Who, who thinks this is a good way to get into a church? But how does she even know there are people in there Gunfire? what's going on? Yeah, but is she just standing outside the church? Or she's on the motorbike already. Could she hear gunfire? Hmm. And does she know what the situation is? She just thinks, doesn't matter what's going on in there. I'm going to launch you know, into there, guns blazing on a motorbike. Just That's, why not? I'm I'm actually really I I'm really disappointed with myself that I've I've not noticed until this point. There's there's literally no reason for her to meet these group of people and continue. So she's left the hospital. I am assuming she wants to leave the city. Yeah, uh, she's not well, being guided this way at all. Maybe she wants to confess. When she when she's in the gun shop. She has a little moment where she has a flashback and realises that she's been experimented on. Some mm. wibbly-wobbly things climb up her arm. Because that's, you know... So glad he said arm. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's movie speak for there's something growing and not right inside me. But all that kind of flashback experimentation stuff is probably the least interesting thing about her. And unfortunately this film, and certainly the next one, really foregrounds all this mm. superhuman ability stuff it does kind of crop up in the games eventually particularly with wesker and code veronica mm. and but to, in the, yeah i mean in the games up until this point they kept talking about supreme being and supreme evolutions but you kept looking like monsters at the end of it yeah whereas this is like actually t-virus if used um Poorly, it can make you into a big dribbly monster, but if you use wisely, you can still be sexy. Yeah. Do not exceed the stated dose. So I guess we do, there's no, there's literally no reason for her to appear in the most explosive, noisy way possible. She backflips off a motorcycle, which kills a liquor. 
It just drips of wanting to be so wicked cool. Yeah, and the, the, but it just ends up really awkward because she kind of drives the motorcycle into a liquor who launches up into the air and then she shoots two bullets and they say in the commentary that they could they had a bigger budget which was why they did two CG bullets in bullet time this <laughs> Double time the in, budget this time instead of the one in the last film so that happens in bullet time and it explodes the motorcycle and kills the liquor and you just kind of think why <laughs> yeah i don't know sometimes i do enjoy this this little bit just for the brazenness of it but um yeah it does it's just a microcosm of, of how extreme and ridiculous resident evil can be so for some reason alice takes uh this party under her wing they move into a graveyard graveyards happen to be uh, planted near <laughs> churches because they that's kind what of you come do. part and parcel really <laughs> no and i know i've mentioned my missus a lot but as we're speaking about graves she told me once that she thought as a kid the reason people get buried in the ground is to plant new humans and then they think that's how babies are made which is deeply disturbing probably slightly mixed up with like cabbage patch kids or maybe, something maybe although we kind of lampooned this sequence earlier it's quite nice to have a good zombie grave sequence in a film you know what i preferred the similar sequence in house of the dead to this i think the problem is this film has, has a lot of pretty decent shooting in it, but the hand-to-hand stuff is less impressive. And unfortunately, it really has a lot of it. And again, not in the games at this point. All this kind of kung fu powers I mean, there's so, stuff. There's so many times when Mila Jovovich and Jill Valentine, <laughs> Mila Jovovich being her character name, <laughs> kill zombies by snapping their necks and the way you snap a zombie's neck is to put your arm right by its face and twist and firstly i would imagine a zombie can still walk with a broken neck and secondly you just don't want to get your 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 arm meat close to a zombie's gnashes i mean all this sequence is missing is vincent price narrating (laughs) (laughs) because it's very it's just thriller-esque it's definitely i think the film I was going to say the film at its silliest, and now I think it gets even sillier later, but I think it's definitely... I know there's, like, humour in this film, but there's just not enough for it to... I don't know. Are you forgetting the comedy stylings of LJ? I'm including the comedy (laughs) stylings of LJ. LJ is a character portrayed by Mike Epps, Mm -hmm. but originally created to be portrayed by Snoop Dogg. I see. I think we first see him in the police station, I'm assuming, with a prostitute. Am I assuming that he's a pimp? Yeah, I think that's Those what lovable it's meant scamps. to be. Yeah, that lovable stamp. He's got a pimpin' hat. He's got some gold guns. Yeah, I, I'm probably not the best person to ask this, but is he a stereotype? I feel like he is written by a white British man. It reminds me a little bit, and coincidentally it's mentioned in the scene, how, for instance, like GTA, the Grand Theft Auto games, Mm -hmm. again, they're just written by some white Scottish men, but you have all these, you know, gangsters with all their their N-words and all their drug words. I mean, I would argue that sometimes an outside culture gets a better handle on American sort of stuff 
uh, like Paul Verhoeven, but um, this ain't that. <laughs> but yeah, they, they do name check GTA. That's one of your favourite bits where people reference that it's a video game. Yeah, except it's not the same, not the same video game. game. Yeah, he drives into a uh, a zombie and says GTA, motherfucker. But this, despite misgivings, I think he does as much as he can mm. with this role. I may not love him, but thinking about it, if he was not in the film, I think the film would be poorer for it. I guess the first character proper LJ meets is our mate Nemesis. Yeah, Umbrella has decided to use Raccoon City and now it's contaminated as thinking it's the perfect testing ground. Yeah. They say actually there's a line, Sir, T-virus infection has reached critical levels. Mm. And I was thinking, gosh, it's only critical now. <laughs> Blimey, what was the last 13 hours? So it's the perfect opportunity for them to launch the Nemesis program. Nemesis, as you will remember, was mentioned at the very end of Resident Evil 1 mm. in when the non-Alice survivor Matt was infected and they said he'd be perfect for the Nemesis program. So we get to see what became of him. i got to say, I love... It's one of my favourite bits of, of the film, just his design. I think... He, I am aware, I think the costume has gone under a little bit of... People do take the mickey out of him. I think some people hate it. I just love that it's it's exactly from the games. So Nemesis and the games, Resident Evil, as we know, it's not just zombies. It's other kind of bio-organic weapons. It's other monsters. And one of the key kinds of monsters are called tyrants, which are basically super-duper mega bastards. Mm -hmm. And Nemesis is one of the famous ones because it's like the main baddie in Resident Evil 3. And the idea in that game is there's a constant threat Mm. of this monster coming at you could happen at any time, burst through walls, grab you, mm. just stalks you throughout the whole game relentlessly. I think and, like, there's, like every, every time you turn a corner, you just worry. Every time there's a little bit of loading, you think, yeah. <gasps> but that's kind of what is happening with the Resident Evil 2 remake. They have a tyrant which is stalking you around, oh. but in this game, it can walk through doors. It, if, As soon as it sees you, it will follow you around and you can run oh to the other God. side of the building and it will come after you and you can hear it coming wherever you go Mm. so you have to be on your toes a little bit for that but i don't get the feeling in this film of this relentless monster that could come at you at any time and as much as the design is similar i do think it's pretty rubbery i think it has to be shot right i think anytime you see his herman monster boots it kind of gives it away thudding along in the commentary, they mentioned that to make him look taller, even though the actor is like seven foot, mm. they did have to stretch the film oh. a little bit. So some there's some shots where like cars are slightly out of shape in the mm. background and things because they did stretch the did actual ratio to make him look a bit taller. But I don't think it always works. And so... I kind of appreciate that they go all in and trying to replicate Nemesis. It would have been easier if they didn't have to do that mm. because it is mostly a big rubbery costume. Because this is a film and not a video game, you can't really have the omnipresent threat he's going to come out anywhere. I mean, a lot of films will try and make you feel that way, but I think unconsciously we are knowing when an action beat is likely to happen. I do like the first time Nemesis 
is clocked by Alice. There's fog and Alice stops and thinks, oh, there's something out there. And Peyton goes, I don't see anything. And she goes, well, that doesn't change the fact that there is something there. Nemesis's deal Mm. is, at least in the games, he's programmed to track and hunt down members of stars. And he kind of does that in this film. He happens upon a big load of uh, stars officers all holed up in a store. It's a demonstration of his power. Yeah, and he wipes them all out, but spares LJ as he's a civilian. Mm. But like the re- way you find that out is the readout is very much... I think I can't remember the font. I think it's like bank gothic medium <laughs> bold or something, but it's the same Ooh. font in spaced. It's, I, I think it's similar like that, but it's such a 2000s... Oh, this is what computer font looks like. So we'll make Nemesis at least see not, that way. At least it's not Comic Sans. Uh, how would this film not have been 100% better it would, if it, would have been really it had Comic Sans? Funnily enough, I, I recently learned that Comic Sans shouldn't get such a bad rap because it was designed to be easy to read for people, for use in schools and stuff. So, yeah, I would say it would be quite progressive if Nemesis reads in Comic Sans. Yeah, he's barely, what... You only say 24 hours old? Mm. I don't know. How much time has passed between the end of the first film and the start of this one? I know that Alice wakes up at the end of the first film overlaps with that one, but how much time has she been under? Can't be much, because no. they go and reopen the hive. So it must be, what, yeah, 24 I, hours? I, I 48 am... hours? Mm. Yeah, that, that Nemesis program works pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Alice and Nemesis are one... are kind of the one and the same, two sides of the same coin, because they talk about how... Both Alice and Matt, who became Nemesis, bonded with the T-virus on a cellular level. What does that mean? (laughs) It's hard to say. We know that the T-virus is meant to do cellular growth, but I guess it depends what cells it grows. I guess with Matt, it grew the ugly cells. (laughs) (laughs) It's like he's been beaten with an ugly stick. So Kane tells Alice at the end, yes, that she bonded, she's magnificent, she's never before seen people react with the T-Rise like she does. You're not a mutation, you're an evolution. And Alice says, what about Matt? And Kane says, well, some evolutions have dead ends. So that explains mm. that Nemesis is just all brawn and no fun. With my help, just imagine what you can achieve. What about him? Evolution has its dead ends. No. Put him out of his misery. And come with me. No. You're such a disappointment to me. All that strength, but no will to use it. What a waste. As a hero is a fan, I do like leather. Uh, on my on my iconic monsters, but why did they give him that lever? Get up! It's probably it's it's a hardy substance. I suppose. Would you rather have him in a t-shirt and jeans? Mm. I probably would give the maybe game... maybe a muscle vest. It would give the game away. <laughs> yeah, like he's on Venice Beach. <laughs> it would give the game away if he had like a big umbrella. I don't know. Nice umbrella baseball cap. I mean, we spent a lot of time getting these characters together, but the plot itself kind of kicks in when. Uh, Dr. Ashford starts ringing their, them on the telephone. Yeah, he's been basically looking for people to help get 
his daughter back. Mm. And he's been hacking, as we said, into the surveillance cameras. On his, and on his Sony... Is it, Vio. Think, Sony Vio. I think even at the time I was watching it, I was like, Sony Vio? Why is he using a Sony Vio? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sony oh, made this film. Yeah, like James Bond, who's always got the rubbishest technology. I don't know. I actually really enjoyed my Sony Ericsson telephone back when I had it. But I don't have one now. If Sony uh, wants to sponsor us, by the way, please. Yes, give us PlayStation 4s. Please. Anyway. Yeah, Ashford manages to get in touch with Alice and gives her a mission to help get his daughter back. And if she does so, then he'll help them get out of Raccoon City. He explains that Umbrella can't contain the infection, so newts are going to be launched, so they need timers of the essence. And that is all going to be a big cover-up. They argue about well surely people will know people will know what what will happen but uh, umbrella is going to cover it up and claim it's a meltdown at a nuclear power plant which caused the mm. uh, impending apocalypse if, if phil if this film came out like two years later facebook and, and twitter and everything would have done that i mean or maybe yeah. a few a couple of more years i mean they they always still use the plot device oh people would just inhaled too much gas or something and it was all, all mass madness but no <laughs> you couldn't do that today angela has been located at the raccoon school raccoon junior school so mm-hmm. our uh, survivors team up and split up and look for her and yeah. this is when jill sends terry on her suicide <laughs> mission yeah what do you think of Angie, the, the little, little girl? What do you think she is like as an actress? Okay. She's okay. She does little girl acting. I looked her up on IMDb. She's still doing films. Her last film was... Bring it on worldwide. Cheer smack. Uh, hashtag cheer smack. It's a very complicated title. When did that come out? Uh, 2017. And they still put hashtags in film titles? They do. So Angie, I mean, are we, uh, are we meant to assume she was the Red Queen. I I know that later on they do establish who the Red Queen uh, little girl was supposed to be, but in this film we've got another little British girl. It's not explicitly said, but I think you're meant to assume because Alice gives her a real look. Like, I know you. And I know that in the film they talk about the red queen was based on the developer's daughter all right so so then that would imply but we don't know whether ashford made the hive computer maybe network. maybe ashford's probably wife not. did i don't know the doctor <laughs> was a woman <laughs> it's it's a little bit fuzzy i think that's what we're meant to think but i think later on in the films they retcon what you were meant to think in this one but um, when she's introduced, she introduces herself as Angela Ashford. And Jill says, that's a grown-up name for a little girl. Oh. And so then she sort of says, I'll call you Angie. But surely every child's name eventually becomes a grown-up's name. I don't know. I was wondering why someone would have called a baby Gareth earlier. Why would you call a baby Gareth? Because they're going to spend most of their life not as a baby. <laughs> like, is. Gareth is a legitimate name for a grown-up or a baby, but it doesn't matter what... I, don't, I just don't understand the concept of a grown-up name because surely you give the child a name as a baby and if you called every single child 
childish names, mm-hmm. they'd have to change their name when they were older than 12 years old because you couldn't call them, I don't mm. know, Boo Boo or I think it would be quite, Gaga. I think it would be quite nice if you got a new name when you became an adult. And I would turn from Howie to Harry. <laughs> and you would turn from Wooey to Rory. So you'd drop the speech impediments. You would. I mean, Alice, bless her, she... In this film, she in the last film, she lost her memory. She could have chosen chosen any name. But every time she says, my name is Alice and I remember everything. Does she know what her last name is? My name is Janice and I remember everything. <laughs> Just each film, she has a different name. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, she goes, my name is Alice. I remember everything. What's your last name, Alice? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Angie, Angela, uh, she's basically the newt surrogate. Mm-hmm. Of this film to use an alien's parallel again. But we get a nice reprise with the dogs. Zombie yeah, dogs are better back. in this one. Yeah, yeah, I think it helps that they're... In the dark. In the dark. Yeah, not under scientific lighting. But luckily, Alice shows up just in time to explode them all. She explodes them by turning on the gas in the kitchen they all happen to be in. This is after one of the soldiers dies by going... I got this, bitch. Oh, shit. And then he gets killed by dogs. But Alice, I think the only time in the franchise, smokes just so she could flick a cigarette into the gas plume she's created. I think she smokes a little bit earlier on. And I know that Ashford does a lot of smoking too. It's quite a smoke-heavy movie. I went back to that parental guidance for the first Resident Evil film. It doesn't mention smoking in it, so... But no, I think she smokes earlier on in this movie. But when they're when? on the bus. Oh, I think she okay. has a pack of fags. Okay, noted. I might have been writing when she was smoking. Yeah, it's another thing Alice likes to do, which makes her seem like an incredible badass, but endangers several people. Um, she manages to hide Angie underneath a fire blanket, because luckily there's one to hand. But when Alice and Angie meet, and Alice has maybe a, a little... Moment of Red Queen recognition, perhaps, perhaps not. But it might also be because, for some reason, Alice knows that Angie is infected on a massive level. And the reason they know this is because they're both infected. And they Mm. drop it and leave it at that. So you can tell if someone's infected just by standing next to them. If you are yourself infected, just because you have some telepathic infection link. And the survivors... Um, are told basically to get to the chopper mm-hmm. by Ashford as their means of escape. But Major Kane intercepts Ashford and kind of already knew all this was going on. But obviously, I guess... Yes, yeah, so that's what I said earlier. What was his play? I guess he was banking on Ashford somehow spotting Alice and phoning her up because I guess the reason why he springs the trap is so he can capture Alice because he wants her for Project Alice. Well, hang on. But I think the film definitely shows him right at the start activating Project Alice in the hospital. So if he wants to capture Alice... But maybe he was testing her again. He likes doing all these... He was doing catch and release. I guess so. But I, I guess he likes to do... What's it called? Field research. Maybe he's got several other dads with several other daughters dotted around <laughs> Raccoon City and he's engaging them in different ways. And uh, Ashford has no idea that in the next tent along, there's like 
um, Dr. William Burke and you know, going, like, where's get my sherry back <laughs> and all that stuff. He ends up shooting Ashford. So he clearly didn't need his research anymore. I'm sure there's stuff in HR against doing that sort of thing as well. The reason for shooting Ashford is to force Alice to have a fist fight with Nemesis mm. because he basically says, like, he was a valuable asset. So think of what I could do to your new friends. <laughs> and it's a bit like, no, why not just shoot one of their new friends? Yeah. It makes zero difference. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, well, next time I'll shoot someone you really care about. And, in, and that's the last thing Ashford hears. <laughs> Ashford's like, ah, oh, dude. You really cared about me. No one cared about poor old Dr. Ashford. <laughs> Alice, they've all been intercepted after Alice does an abseil run down a skyscraper for... No discernible reason. Yeah, do you know how long it takes to climb up the t- to <laughs> climb up a skyscraper? I mean, I think the idea is that she gets the jump on some umbrella goons, mm. but do you it's know what mainly also... to do it because it's cool. Yeah, do you know what also does that more more quickly and effectively? Bullets. Yeah, just shoot them, <laughs> or even just like sneaking up. Yeah, after a bit of fifty cuffs, they do that thing that so many films like this do, where all the heroes think they've escaped, but oh no, the baddies there. So this is the Alice versus Nemesis fist yes. fight. Kane decides the best way to test his kill his his weapon is to remove its two primary weapons, which is the machine gun and the rocket launcher, and do a fist fight. But Nemesis does pick up a big piece of metal or something, and then Kane throws Alice a couple of nightsticks. Kane helped. Yeah, he Kane doesn't know how science works. Or experiments work specifically. All his science, all his experiment is going to show that Alice is the perfect weapon as long as there's a man around to toss her a bit of metal. Because I didn't have such a huge attachment to Resident Evil 3, you know, the film, when I first saw it, was dumb enough that the whole fist fight sequence didn't bother me as much. But watching it now, I can appreciate just how annoyed fans. I was going to say, would and now been. it's art. <laughs> no, I just it's there's no reason or place for it here. It seems just a very ineffective way to yeah. beat someone. I mean, and it's I, not very well shot or no. presented. I mean, again, like Alexander Witt for a second unit director whose primary focus is action. The action in this film is fairly ropely. Put well, together. again, I think his expertise is shooting, is gunfire and gunplay. I don't think he's... And helicopters. And helicopters. I don't think he's very skilled at at, mar- at the fighting, but I, that can also be a budgetary thing. It's night shoots, it's low budget. I don't think they've got ages of time to choreograph stuff. But yeah, it's a bit of an anticlimax, this fight, and it probably is compounded by the fact that the hero of the games, Jill Valentine, is not not involved she actually barely does anything with nemesis it's always Mm. it's always alice versus nemesis it would be kind of like doing a new mario movie um where toad rescues princess peach and mario is just along for the ride and sort of going yeah yeah toad not even toad a character created specifically for the mario movie (laughs) no be like i don't know dario is a real name (laughs) yeah not good not good ending It's compounded by the fact that you then turn this relentless villain into a sob story. Like an X Factor. Yeah. I was mutated by the T-Virus 
And now I'm going to prove to everyone that I can sing. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's just... You should uh, be in stars in their eyes. <laughs> like Nemesis in Resident Evil, the game is is like the Terminator, an unstoppable killing machine. There's no, There's nothing going on behind the eyes. There's mm. no character development. Nemesis turns out to be one of the most developed characters <laughs> with an actual story arc in this movie, but you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you're putting it on the wrong character. He should have, because he recognised who he was, he and his gob is big enough, he should have sucked on his rocket launcher and shot himself in the mouth <laughs> with a rocket launcher and his brain goes into orbit. I mean, at, at this point, Alice has Nemesis pinned to a wall with a big chunk of metal impaling him, and Kane is mortal combating his way through this, shouting, finish him! Yeah, literally saying, finish him! him. Mm. And Alice refuses because she recognises the matten side of Nemesis, Mm. and Nemesis recognises the mat inside of him. Could have, um, they'd have been a lovely couple. (laughs) They started a family. Little, little... Little nemeses. Nemeses, (laughs) nemesi. Um, Alice side. In their little sailor suits. <laughs> Stars! And little pop gun rocket launchers. Oh, now I just want to see that. Yeah. The Resident Evil. Oh, Apocalypse. <laughs> Adore Eclipse. Adore Eclipse. Nemesis strikes back. Yeah. He blows up a freaking helicopter. Yeah, but it kind of crashes into him. Yeah. He was a bit short-sighted. Not before he's dispatched a bunch of Umbrella Goons, and mm-hmm. this is the point at which Alice runs around the side of the building with glass. The helicopter shoots with its machine guns through the glass, and it's, it's basically a scene lifted from Resident Evil Code Veronica. Yeah, right up to the point where she drops her gun and then manages to swiftly catch it and dispatch a few more um, umbrella henchmen at the same time again, just like Code Veronica. I do remember seeing Code Veronica for the first time, and and that that cinematic at the start of the game was like, this is much more action-packed than Resident Evil tends to be. This is a bit, this is something else. It was maybe the coolest thing I'd ever seen at that point. (laughs) It was the reason I bought a Dreamcast, Mm. really, was was Code Veronica and that scene, that cutscene in a games shop. I remember we didn't have a memory card for like a whole weekend, so you had to play that opening sequence flipping loads of times. I still enjoyed it. Mm, it's a good opening sequence, I'll admit. Probably the last thing which goes through their head before a bullet does is, that's so cool! <laughs> Whoa, what a way to go! Don't mind, see you in hell or heaven, wherever I end up. Well, they, 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 make it, they, get, they get on the helicopter and that's where Kane is, isn't it? Kane is... Oh, Kane! Like in the Bible. That bad guy from the Bible, Cain and Abel. Yeah, I wow. guess. Wow, that's probably why they chose his name. Paul Anderson. So clever. So clever. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm surprised that the next bit of enemy isn't called Dr. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> I am Dr. Satan. Cain is on the chopper, but uh, he's not going to join them. In the escape. No, it is a cool kiss offline though. It's a good, good villain death. Shall we? Shall we act that now? Do you want to be Kane or Alice? I want to be the helicopter. I'm going to be Alice. Okay. 
Killing me won't put things right. No. But it's a start. Ah. <laughs> I mean, he only falls about two meters. But it's enough to really hurt his leg. And so yeah. he, can't, he can't run away. He rolls out the wrong way. He gets his gun out and he shoots all his bullets, but doesn't have enough for the final shot himself. And that rocket launcher is out of reach, so he can't shoot himself in the head <laughs> of a rocket launcher. Yeah, the zombie swarm, including zombie Ashford. Yeah. And it's a nice, effective it's end. A, it's a good zombie death. It's a good villain dispatchment. There's a thing where villains can't die once. A, a good baddie death, you have to die twice so a classic example is die hard uh, gruber spoilers for die hard he gets shot and then he falls out of a building and in this he hurts his leg <laughs> from a helicopter fall and then assuming he gets eaten by zombies and then destroyed in a nuclear, and then a nuclear bomb goes off <laughs> yes there's that too umbrella launches the nuclear strike and it looks similar to how the cutscenes are and cutscene is in Resident Evil Three when the nuclear bomb goes off in Raccoon City, mm-hmm. but it's nicely depicted here, and our heroes escape on the helicopter, but the shockwave blast knocks him out of the sky. Yeah, piece of debris impales Alice, mm. and the helicopter crashes, and the series ends. No more Resident Evil films. The rest were just a fever dream. I mean, it could be a um, a uh, Jacob's Ladder, a Jacob's scenario. Ladder scenario from a, another awesome podcast. But yeah, it's but quite... the the crash scene is that's one of the strongest pieces of editing and craft mm. in the film. It's scary is making it very choppy, cutting to black, changing the sound, particularly in the cinema. I thought my DVD was messing up. (laughs) Right. But particularly in the cinema, that really felt like it was the first time I felt like, wow, there's some (laughs) proper filmmaking going on behind this. Umbrella swarmed the crash site. Sorry. Even though we have seen little hints of him, earlier in the film in flashback form Mm -hmm. we are introduced to dr isaacs dr isaacs as portrayed by ian glenn Mm. i'm assuming his first name is satan (laughs) dr satan isaacs well it's not jason (laughs) satan isaacs Satan Isaacs. <laughs> and hello to Satan Isaacs. Hello to him. Well, he's named after Jason, as we mentioned, oh. who was in the first film and cameo role. But I heard in the commentary that actually Ian Glenn was a last minute substitution for a different actor that they, they had to portray this role. But they needed someone with a little bit more gravitas. Mm. It was going to so, be what? Um, Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be Paul Rubens. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but they said he was like a last minute and expensive replacement. So I, I wonder what his fee was for subsequent movies. Fifty pounds. <laughs> but yeah, Ian Glenn, who is introduced here as Doctor Isaacs, he appears. They find Alice's dead, charred body at the helicopter crash site. During this ending sequence, we see that somehow there's a kind of montage of news reporting, mm. and it suggests that. The tape that Terry has been taken um, did get out, that Mm -hmm. Jill and Carlos did manage to send it to local news. And, you know, they're saying, 
well, it seems like Raccoon City was overrun by zombies. But then, like, another news report says, oh, it turns out it was just a disgusting hoax. Mm. And I was just like... It's fake news. Ooh. I know it's not fake because I just watched it. It's a lot of effort for a hoax. Assuming the footage that we see is the stuff that she has recorded. But yes, we are to assume that Carlos and Jill are on the run. But it doesn't matter because we find out very soon what's happened to them. And we find out that Alice is bobbing about in a little water bath. Yeah, a little floaty tank. I imagine you can't see it, but there's bubbles up top. It's like mateys in there. I was more fascinated by what she was sitting on, which is like a nice little underwater mechanical seat, which I'm imagining also takes away, um, well, the end result of whatever she's eaten in underwater. I guess like Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back, he has like a big nappy when he's bobbing about in a mm. tank. So uh, it'd be nasty if like in a fish tank, like a, a, a million of its poopins floats past the walls. In some some poor soul, little brown fish. Some poor soul at Umbrella. It's their job to kind of use a fish net and <laughs> scoop out the bobbins. Oh, I want to keep those for analysis. What kind of analysis? I don't know, I'll think of something. It's strapped another sample from Project Alice. <laughs> oh, do I have to? <laughs> I guess it was better than the Nemesis program. <laughs> <laughs> what did oh. that guy eat? <laughs> <laughs> Just two bin bags. <laughs> I don't like cleaning the litter tray at home, I must admit. <laughs> it's very similar. Maybe Stimus has used the litter tray. He's <laughs> like, doof, doof, doof. No, those aren't footsteps. <laughs> oh, now I've got images of giant bloody scratching posts in the corner of the stars labs of a liquor. Um, this is what happens when we fuse T virus DNA with human DNA with cat DNA. <laughs> anyway, no, none of that happens. Now, I guess here's something which which becomes perhaps more of a question later on in the series. She's definitely a resurrected Alice OG, Alice original. She's not a clone or anything. Yeah, I think it's the same Alice that she's been resurrected. She is... A A zombie. Yeah, kind of. Or Jesus. Zombie or Jesus. Mm. Answers on a postcard. Well, yeah, she's she's awoken again. And yeah, it's similar to how she is seemingly woken up in a dazed condition in most of the Resident Evil movies and certainly in a lot of Mila Jovovich movies. Mm. So she does the whole Lilu Lilu act again because <laughs> she's trying to remember stuff. And... Please help. Please, Rory. Help. Big bada boom. Big booty pass. Except in this instance, Dr. Isaacs is like, see this? Pen. Yes. Pen. I mean, firstly, I'd seen this one before, so I knew what was going to happen. But secondly, uh, I wouldn't hold any sort of stabbing implement towards Alice. I want to run to 24-hour observation. I want a complete set of blood work, chemical and electrolyte analysis by the end of the day. My name? My name? Sir, advanced reflex testing is also a priority. My name? Electrical impulse is monitored in a... Sir! What is it? My name... is Alice. And I remember everything. 
Oh, yeah, she goes, I'm Alice. No, he asks what her name is, and says, my name is Alice, and I remember everything. So she the says ta- the tagline. The tagline spoiled the end of the film. What is it? She, she beats up all the guards. She's immune to a stun gun. Yeah, she gets tasered and then throws the taser back into some dude's face. It's a pretty cool move. So we know that she's super powerful, but then we really go all into her telekinetic, telepathic capabilities. Mm. Because not only can she turn all CCTV cameras onto her, but she can make some security guy through the camera make his head just bleed. I I I don't know. know. She goes from amnesiac to God in quite a... Quite a quick turnaround in this in this universe. Yeah, they sort of did paint themselves into a corner, as I say. I just I, I've never been able to get on board with the whole Alice superhuman, super kinetic, superpowers stuff. It myself. does seem to go outside the bounds of what you can do to somebody physically, because the T virus seems to be something which happens to your to you physically, and, and I'm, I'm not a big proponent of someone's brain being changed to be super psychic and and yeah i I, it's it was okay when she's being like a big martial artist but now she is she can just do anything she is just all powerful so i just don't i don't end the film thinking oh gosh what's going to happen next i think oh gosh what have they done oh what have they done we are are supposed to think that she is being tracked or somehow controlled by umbrella because uh ian glenn dr isaacs dr satan isaacs does say um that she should be let go. And the final chilling shot is Alice's eyes turning into umbrella logos, which would have given the game away if everyone was looking at her at that moment in time. Yeah, the surviving team, LJ, Carlos, Jill and Angela, they sort of pretend to be umbrella employees to Mm. pick her up and, yeah, let her go. Yeah, and then the camera pulls up into space and there's an umbrella satellite watching her chilling music credits. What did you think of the film as a whole? I've never liked Resident Evil Apocalypse. Uh-huh. That's interesting. I... So not so not all so even though it's got the most Resident Evil y stuff, it doesn't really float your biohazard boat. <laughs> I remember coming out of the film not upset like <laughs> sobbing and crying <laughs> and wailing. But no, just just like like I was very sorry to have seen that. I I, I don't know whether it's the, st- the worst of the films. I think it's probably the worst made of the films. Mm. Even though the some of the films later on get stupider and sillier and more over the top and schlocky and ridiculous... But I think this is the one which is the worst kind of put together. Even though it's sort of bigger budget than the first film, it looks cheaper. I It's very bitty. It's very fragmented. It's very unsure of its tone, what it's trying to do, what it's trying to say. And it's just a bit of a mess. I feel a bit conflicted because I think I agree with a lot of you say. I think it's more scattershot. I think it is more it feels more direct to video but i feel this might be my favorite resi but again the first film is is categorically better made out of the entire series the first film feels more standalone 
and this one is, is, an, is an overabundance of fan service. But some days I just like a bit of fan service, and it's just over the top and a bit ridiculous. It's got the, the it's got the horror movie stuff I like with the zombie kids and um, some of the kills. So I feel this is the one I watched the most because this is the one which feels the most like the Resident Evil games. Um, the first one didn't so much, and and the ones which come after seem to be their own little universe. Uh, that's true. I mean, I do think it's watchable. And yes, I suppose if I were going to watch a Resident Evil movie, I would gravitate towards the first one or this one. The first one because it's a better made movie. This one because it does have the fan service. It does try more than the others to ape the games in some way and reference them and demonstrate the influences I didn't mind watching it. <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> it wasn't a bad experience watching it. <laughs> I think there are probably Resident Evil films I like less, yeah. but I think it's probably because they are more boring. Mm. Whereas this is probably more actively worse, but it's maybe more watchable. Does that make sense? We kind of met in the middle bit because, like I said, I, I do feel this is like a bit of a shonky film, but I just get a lot more enjoyment out of it. But um, like Nemesis and Alice, we're two sides of the same coin. <laughs> so that's a wrap on Resident Evil Apocalypse and Resident Evil for now. But what will we be talking about next time on Games on Film? Well, uh, we took a look at our calendar to see if there is any future synergy that we can do. And excitingly for some, <laughs> there's a new film coming out shortly called uh, Alita Battle Angel, uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez. And he's actually a guy who's been a long proponent of cutting edge 3D cinema. And uh, his next film, Alita, is going to be supposedly much the same. But before he dipped his toe into that universe, he was creating his own mini franchise called Spy Kids. We wouldn't ask you to watch Spy Kids 1 or 2, but we are tackling Spy Kids 3D. Game over. So, uh, until uh, our next episode, how can people keep in touch with Games on Film? Games on Film can be found Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even. Just look for Games on Film Pod and you can find details of upcoming episodes stuff and nonsense memes news about video game movies and tv shows in the works all kinds of stuff so do please follow us there all episodes of the podcast are available on soundcloud soundcloud.com slash games on film pod you can contact us games on film pod at gmail.com and you can also contact us through the social media channels please do get in touch please like rate subscribe share and all that business you can also find us individually on twitter i'm at rory steel i'm at only man who can and do you have anything to plug um I, i'm still doing stand-up comedy so just look for harry steel comedian and you should find my digital footprint okay and i also run gamer disco nights in london that's video games and music combined in one happy big fun time event so we have regular monthly events. So find Gamer Disco, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram too. 
And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. So thanks very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll be returning to the world of Resident Evil soon. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. And we're expendable assets. And we've just been expended. Bye. Bye.